Well, good morning. I want to uh, just remind you that this Thursday is our Glenview Pantry, Glenview Elementary. And so we're going to be there from uh, about noon to 3 o'clock. And if you are available during any of that period of time and want to come help us uh, distribute food to some of these families, then uh, just let me know and uh, make sure you get directions and we expect you. And so really that's kind of a reminder for my folks that have been going every month, but I just want to put that out there for everybody so they wouldn't feel like I was not trusting them to show up this week. But anyway, we have a good time doing that, and I don't think it's supposed to rain this time. It rained on us last time, and so that was interesting. But uh, I want to invite you to do that. We get to meet some, some great people, some great people who need to know some godly people. And so it's a good opportunity for us. Uh, you know, in the, in the years that I worked in EMS, emergency medical services, I responded to I would, thousands of collisions, thousands of motor vehicle collisions from fender benders, or actually what we would call undetectable, you've got to be kidding me, you called a paramedic for this bender, all the way to the, was this really ever a vehicle bender, unrecognizable. And so, you know, one thing I, r- I realized is so much happens at the point of impact, the point when these, where these objects collide. And so the point of impact can change trajectory. It can change physical trajectory in that one vehicle is moving this direction and at point of impact, now it's moving an opposite or a different direction. But it also changes trajectory for the occupants because wherever they were going, whatever their plans were for that day, when that point of impact occurred, all of that changed. Because now their, their day and their weeks and perhaps their months or years, their schedule just changed because of this one moment, this point of, of impact. You know, you're driving along in one direction and suddenly or not so suddenly you collide with a force so great that you're now traveling in a completely different or opposite direction. And Jesus had this point of impact effect on people that came in, in whose lives collided with His. And so... It was, whether it was an encounter or a moment or an unplanned intersection, it changed the direction of their life. And one of the frequent results from this, this impact with Jesus was when a trajectory of life was changed from a course of hopelessness to one of hope. And hope is a comforting word. Hope is a feel-good word. It's a word we want to wrap our arms around. We want to hang on to. It's a it's an air condition on an Arkansas fall evening. It's a warm blanket on a winter's night. It's, it's comforting. And we saw over the last few weeks how faith and hope are woven together and how brittle faith becomes when we lose our hope, when our hope is, is fragile and fractured. And so when you have hope, you, you, you have expectation. You look for something. You look towards something. And when you have no hope, there's this sense of dread. And multitudes of people are living today with no hope. And you know a lot of them. No hope about their marriage. No hope about their children. No hope about their job. No hope about their health. People are living with no hope. But for others, this this emotion permeates their entire being. They have never seen or They exist, but their, their hopes and their dreams and their goals are, are unimaginable. And so this isn't the way God intends for us to live because God created us for purpose. He created us for life to work towards goals so that for this anticipation of things to come. And so time and again, though, this hopeful message of God's plan collides with the hopeless lies of Satan. And so you have this collision. You have this impact. Like the time that Jesus was traveling 
from Judea to Galilee in John chapter 4. That's where we are today. So in John chapter 4, Scripture says in, in verse 4, now he had to go through Samaria. And you just pause right there because had is an interesting word. If I told you that I, I was traveling and I had to take 67-167 to get to Cabot, you would say, well, you're crazy. Because there's no reason in the world why you should even want to go that way, much less have to. You can go the old highway or you can, you can go around this way. And so you, you start realizing there's different ways that we can go. So, you know, when we say had to, it, it means something. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jews hated, yes, hated, Samaritans. The animosity there. And the, and the Jews would take the old highway. They would go out of their way. They would travel days out of their way if necessary to keep from having to go through Samaria in order to get to Galilee. There was so much prejudice, so much hatred embedded for centuries between the Jews and the Samaritans as the Samaritans descended from the same line of, of Joseph as these Jews did. At one time, I mean, they are brothers, sisters, although over the centuries the Samaritans had intermarried with foreigners and had, had corrupted this bloodline, and so the Jews despised them. What does that look like? Well, all you got to do is turn on the news and look at any protest in the United States, and you'd see the animosity and the hatred and just the vitriol. That's just a glimpse of what was, what was going on between these two peoples here. And so, now, now, they are brother and sister, Jews and Samaritans, but they're the ones that, they're the brother or sister no one wants to invite to Thanksgiving dinner. They're the ones that nobody wants at the house. And it's really worse than that. No Jew had to go through Samaria. No one had to do that. Jesus had to go through Samaria. So it's interesting. He had to go because obedience to God compels us beyond our own prejudice. And so the New Testament writers refer to this big picture of God forgiving the sin of humanity and providing eternal life through Jesus Christ. They refer to that as gospel or good news. And so we read about the gospel. And I would say our great stumbling block, our great stumbling block in life is that singing the gospel is for all while going along our merry way is much easier to stomach than realizing how the gospel is for all. Because in order to see how the good news is for all, we have to go through Samaria. And so now he had to go through Samaria. And so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. And it was about noon. Now nobody goes to the well at noon. You go to the well in the morning. You go to the well in the evening. You take care of your business. Get your work done before the heat of the day. Nobody's at the well. Nobody goes to the well at noon. So Jesus is there at the well, looking around, waiting. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Now his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You just, it's just ink on paper because you've got to get in the middle of that parenthesis to realize what this meant. A Jew would not have ever touched a utensil that a Samaritan had touched. Not going to drink out of it. 
much less even be in the same space to have this conversation. Jesus says, can I have your cup? Can I drink out of your cup? Will you share your cup with me? What does hopeless look like? We're hopeless. Sometimes people are hopeless because they're living in consequences of life, the destructive choices that they've made throughout their life. And sometimes people are hopeless because they're living in consequences of destructive circumstances that have forced themselves into their lives. And so here's this woman. And we'll see, she's been married five times. And now she's living in an immoral situation with a man that she's not married to. And having been married five times, I can only imagine that she, she, you have to suffer through some sort of hardship to have gone through five marriages. And, and for reasons unknown to us, Scripture doesn't reveal that to us, but we know people, we know her. I know her. She's endured rejection of the community. She's married five times in a small community. I mean, who do you think was the talk of the town? You know? What kind of woman is that? She's been married five times and now she decided to live with the guy that's not even married to him? Can you imagine how emotionally empty she must have been? How morally dirty she must have felt? Tried everything she knows to try and nothing is working. Used by everyone, but loved by no one. And all of your goals and your dreams shattered. Nothing to hope for. Dark and dingy and dismal. I mean, might as well just give up. What's the use? Where do you go? See, this is why people cross borders. This is why our prisons are overcrowded. And this is why generational poverty is real. This is why many will never set foot in a church building because they have no hope. Why go? I have no hope. I'm worthless, hopeless, helpless. Proverbs 13:12 says, "Hope deferred can make the heart sick, but a longing fulfilled is a tree of life." And when you have prayed for something, hoped for something, stared intently into the future, wondering if until your eyes are aching if it's ever going to show up, and then if, if it doesn't come to pass as soon as you've expected, if the time is, is delayed before it comes, this length of time and your mind becomes uneasy and your heart begins to weigh heavy and weary. And we can lose our hope. But when it happens, when it finally happens over weeks and years that we have prayed for something and we finally see it come to pass, what we've been waiting for, it's the sweetest, soul-reviving experience reality and the impact on our life can change our trajectory and so this woman had been coming to the well at noon when no one else was there it's too hot and yet here's a man sitting there she knew what it was like to sit there with a man she'd been used by quite a few of them and here i was driving through the intersection like i'd done so many times before when all of a sudden wham impact and Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. 
And see, she kept coming to the well. She kept coming to the well day after day because it's the only place in town where she could find relief. She could come to the well and draw water and be refreshed. A moment's rest. A moment's peace. And in no time, in no time, it was used up. It was evaporated. It's gone. Bucket's empty. Got to go back to the well. She's always going back to the well. And when we have this void in our life that we're trying to fill that can only be filled by God. It's only meant to be filled by God, yet we keep trying to fill it with everything that's ungodly and, and, and outside of godliness. It evaporates, and yet our need continues. And so we keep going back to the well. Or we keep going back to this well. Or we go back to that well. And we wonder why we're never... Refreshed, And when Jesus spoke of water that would never leave you thirsty again, she started thinking, is that even possible? Is that even possible? I've never even heard. I mean, this is my life. How is that possible? Because I would never think something like that was possible. And you know people. You know people every day in your life. You know people right now in your mind you're thinking of someone who cannot imagine that the need that they are foolishly pursuing, the, the pain that they are hopelessly bearing, the fulfillment that they are recklessly pursuing could ever be filled by something else. You know people like that. You know people who cannot imagine experiencing the the thirst-quenching, the soul-quenching ability of Jesus, who if they knew, would beg you to give them this water. If they knew. So then Jesus turns this conversation from intriguing to very awkward. (laughs) And He says... He tells her, go call your husband and come back. She says, I have no husband. Jesus says, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Notice, though, how Jesus addresses the elephant in the room here. You know, not by criticizing her. He didn't criticize her. She'd had enough of that, certainly. And her circumstances had not changed in light of it. In fact, they even seem worse. And Jesus doesn't step away from the truth. He doesn't hide the truth. He's not going to ignore it. Jesus leads her. He leads her to realize where she is emotionally and physically and spiritually. And see, it's common following a collision, especially a a blindsided collision, for someone to be in emotional shock. Trying to figure out what just happened here, so that, so that they, they can't quite realize what's going on, you know. So, ma'am, you've been in a wreck. You've been in a wreck. You, your car was struck by another car. Okay, you know the cloud is starting to, you know the fog is starting to lift. Ma'am, were you, were you, your leg appears broken. Okay, that's why it hurts. Now I understand. I can see that now. All right, now hold still for us. We're going to put a splint on it, and we're going to get you to the hospital so you can get some more care. Okay, we need you to hold still. And so once this process starts starts in, you know, developing here, once somebody is led to kind of see the circumstances, and they begin to understand. This woman had just been impacted by an encounter with God. <laughs> so Jesus leads her to realize where she is so that He can move her where she needs to be. Sir, the woman says, I can see that you're a prophet. I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. It's like, okay, I get it. Well, she didn't completely get it. But in a sense, Jesus was, you know, 
She was, he was church folk. I get it. Okay, you're a prophet. All right. She was born among a people who were shut out from the promise of Israel. And she had been shut out from her people. She was a, an outcast of outcasts, so to speak. And so she wants to know, has God cast me out too? You Jews say God dwells in the temple at Jerusalem. My people say He dwells at Mount Gerizim. Who is God really with? Because right now, I'm not sure He's with me. Woman, Jesus says, you believe me. A time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship, Jews, what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is Spirit. And His worshipers must worship in the Spirit and in truth. See, there's coming a day when all who are thirsty, when all who are weak can come to the fountain and drink from the fountain of life. Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, Jerusalem, Samaria, everywhere. This living water is going to be the fountain of life. Everyone and anyone. Irrespective of nationality. Irrespective of family history. Irrespective of past failures or even present understanding. And so the woman said, I, okay, I know, I know where we're going here. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when He comes, He'll explain everything to us. <laughs> and I can only imagine in this conversation here, Jesus getting the slight grin as she says this. Yeah. I know when Messiah comes, He's going to explain this to us. It was funny. I'd be out in the middle of town somewhere and, um, you know, have a, a uniform on and somebody would say, uh, uh, hey, I know, uh, I know somebody works at MIMS. Oh, yeah, who's that? And they'd give me a name and they'd say, I've never heard of them. <laughs> I mean, because I, they think they know, but I really know. She says, I know when Messiah comes, He's going to explain all this to us. I can imagine Jesus. Bless your heart. Because He's here. Your hope is here. Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am He. Impact and change of direction. For the first time in a long time, perhaps ever, she has hope. And why would I say that? Well, because then leaving her water jar, she goes back into town and she says to the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward Him. So she has gone from this guarded recluse to a public broadcast system. She's gone back into town. That's what Jesus does. That's what Jesus, that's how He impacts a life. And that's what hope can do if we let it. See, she's not certain that Jesus is the Christ. The, the, the syntax of, of the, the, the statement here, the question here is, you know, could He really be? Because I'm not sure. You know, she doesn't let that stop her, though, from leaving her water jar and heading back into town. She's going back into the city and inviting the people to come and have their own encounter with Jesus. And she demonstrates what can happen when we actually engage in conversation and engage in questions about faith. This woman at the well shows us that faith and dialogue go hand in hand. That Growth and change go hand in hand. It's not about having all the answers. 
See, if we think we have all the answers, then we'll be satisfied that Jesus is for me. I'm, so, I'm sorry, you're ignorant and don't understand. i got Jesus. See, if we're afraid we don't have all the answers, though, then we'll begin to wonder when and if we'll finally feel confident enough to share the message of Jesus, knowledgeable enough, secure enough to invite others to come and see. So, where are we? What happened when she shared her encounter with Jesus, her new hope with others? Well, the Scripture says that many of the Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. She said, He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to Him, they urged Him to stay with them. And He stayed two days. And because of His words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. Impact. Change of direction now. How could this woman who has lived on the fringes, who seemed to be filled with hopelessness and discouragement, how could she compel the town to go out and find this Jesus? How could this happen? Because hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when fulfilled, when hope is realized, it's a wellspring, a tree of life. So now she's full of life. And now this tree of life is reproducing in the lives of others who have been drawn by the hope that's within her. Because she was ready to give an answer for the hope that was within her. Who's she telling? Who is she telling about this? The very people, the very men perhaps, who had rejected her. And why? Why is she telling them this? Because she wanted them to know this man. She wanted them to know this Messiah had changed her life. That this Messiah had restored her hope. And it seems that just a few hours ago, this woman saw herself as not worth very much. I mean, how could she not? How could she not feel like she was wearing a label? See, she was flawed. She was defective. She was damaged good. My guess is that the men in her life had devalued her and objectified her and she didn't feel like she was worth much. But that's not how Jesus saw her. And that's not how Jesus sees you. See, when you have a collision with Jesus, He's going to impact your past mistakes. He's going to come face to face with them. We try to hide those. We try to bury them because we're afraid that we're going to end up going, going alone in the heat of the day to the well. What if somebody knows? Maybe we treat Jesus like a bill collector. <laughs> I know I owe you, and I'm afraid to answer the phone because I ain't got enough to pay right now. I don't want to deal with it. So we treat Jesus that way. You know, it's <laughs> walk, walk around like that. All the while, Jesus is waiting on us. Waiting on us to respond, to pick up the phone. He's not waiting to collect. He's waiting to let us know that it's been paid in full. He has paid what we owe in full. Impact. Change of direction. So she made wrong choices. Absolutely. Maybe you can relate to her. Repeatedly failed. Perhaps you feel like you get one step forward and two steps back or three steps or four. Maybe you feel that way. Maybe she, she, maybe she felt trapped. And perhaps you feel trapped today. Trapped by your choices or trapped by the circumstances, the, the, the results, the consequences of choices someone else has made. Maybe you feel tra trapped by that. There is hope. 
Because Jesus is hope. And so perhaps you know someone who is struggling with hopelessness. If you're sucking wind today, you know somebody. You Maybe you haven't realized it yet, but you know somebody. You could probably reach out and touch your person next to you any day of the week. Perhaps you reach out and touch the mirror. Have you shared with them this fountain of life through Jesus Christ? See, this woman, here's the thing, this woman didn't debate theology. She didn't go into town and try to figure out which Scripture can I use to prove to them that this is... No, she didn't do that. She wasn't worried about how much of the Torah she could quote from the Jews so that Samaritans would believe that they were wrong. She didn't... That's not how she approached this. She simply went. And she told them what Jesus had done for her. And because of that, they went to Jesus. They went to Jesus to find out for themselves. She shared her newfound hope. She shared the impact that He had on her. Why? Because it had changed the course of her life. Changed her direction. And there's somebody today. Somebody today who's headed the wrong direction. And they need an impact. They need a collision. They need to come face to face with Jesus Christ. And perhaps and probably the only way that's going to happen is through you. It's through you. What do I do? What do I say? I can't quote the Bible. I don't know where to go. They came because she told them what He had done for her. What's Jesus done for you? Did He come to this earth for you? Did He put on human flesh? Did He leave heaven, the banquet room of God, and come down to this earth in the dust of, 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 and mire of this sinful land and live as a human? Did He do that for you? Did He show you what it looks like to live in obedience to God? Did, did He walk to the cross being rejected by not only the ones He loved, but by so many enemies who marched Him up a hill and nailed Him to a cross and left Him there until the breath left His body? Did He do that for you? In three days, did God call His name and raise Him out of that grave to lift Him, to, to, to rule beside Him at the right hand of God for eternity as Lord and Savior? Did He do that for you? Did He give you the, the, the hope, the belief, the faith to go one more day? Did He do that for you? That's what they need to hear. Perhaps that's what you need to hear. That's what Jesus has done for me. I know He's done that for a lot of you too. And this morning, He's waiting to do it for one more. One more. One more who's been living hopeless. That, yeah, I was once obedient to Christ, but now I'm not. And so you're walking around now like this, afraid to answer the phone because you don't want to hear what the consequences are. You know what the consequences are? They're Jesus Christ dying on a cross. That's the consequences. So God calls you to repent. You've recognized that you're sinning. Now repent of it. God, I am sorry that I've been living this way in rebellion, rejection of You and all that Christ has done. God, forgive me. And God is faithful and true in His mercy and will pour over you His forgiveness because the blood of Christ continually cleanses us from our sins. And if you are not 
in Christ, if you have not been baptized into Christ, died to your old way of thinking, your old life, so that God, just like Christ, can raise you up to a new life, giving you the promise of His Spirit so that you can live eternal with Him. If you have not made that commitment to Him, if you have not put on Christ in baptism, God called, that, that's the phone call. That's why it's ringing. All He wants you to do is pick it up so He can say, Come, come. Who is it this week? Who do you know that's living in hopelessness? Who do you know? I know you know somebody. So the real question is, who will you share with? Who will you share with? What verse? What passage? How about a month ago in your life? How about five years ago in your life? How about what you're looking forward to in your life? That's what you share. That's where it starts. Because somebody's at the well, in the heat of the day, wondering if anybody is listening, if anybody cares. Well, I can tell you, Jesus Christ cares. He cares for you. And He wants to know this morning, will you let Him care for you as we can stand and sing this good song?